You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. I read about a woman who had finished her grocery shopping in a sweltering uh, Arkansas summer day, and she got into her super heated car. She put her key in the ignition, and she heard a loud bang from the back seat and felt a sharp pain in the back of her head. She was holding her head when a good Samaritan ran over and opened the driver's side door and said, Are you all right? And the woman's voice quavered as she said, I've been shot in the head and I'm holding my brains in. That's funny. (laughs) With trepidation, the good Samaritan examined the back of her head and, and to his utter surprise, he didn't see brains, he saw dough. Due to... Now that's funny. Okay, there you go. You guys need little cues this morning, huh? Due to the heat in the car, a Pillsbury biscuit canister exploded in the backseat. This is a true story. And shot dough onto the woman's head. The poor lady had been bashed by a biscuit. She had been mugged by a muffin. I'm on a roll this morning, aren't I? Oh, I've got more. (laughs) How many times in life have we been frightened simply because we misunderstood what was going on? We jumped to conclusions. How many times have we been afraid of something that never even happens? I have a friend who's afraid of flying, yet studies show that we have less than one one one-hundredth of one percent chance of dying in a plane crash. Do we fear being hit by lightning? We have the odds of that happening is one in 2.3 million. What about fear of swimming in the ocean due to shark attacks? Your odds of being killed by a shark are one in 300 million. You actually are more likely to be killed by your spouse. Odds of that happening is one in 135,000 <laughs> than by being eaten by a shark. I don't know if that's comforting or not. Some of us now fear sharks and our wives right there, huh? We probably could decrease the fear factor in our lives 20% by simply not worrying about things that haven't happened and probably won't happen, huh? Fear is a double-edged sword, isn't it? There are benefits of healthy fear, but there's tremendous liabilities to toxic fear. Healthy fear can keep us alive. When a mother, for instance, a young mother sees a rattlesnake in the backyard uh, and sees her toddler, it's, it's fear that energizes her to go be supermom and, and save her little guy. Or is it that love motivated her rather than fear? Let's, let's keep that thought in mind as we go through this Bible study this morning. Fear releases adrenaline into our bloodstream that goes to our muscles, energizing us for extra strength for either fight or flight. Fear can alert us to imminent danger and activate us to take appropriate action to save our lives or someone else's life. It's a distinct disadvantage if a person never feels fear. But fear can easily become toxic, can't it? Instead of empowering us, it can paralyze us. Fear can capture and ensnare our thoughts to where we live in anxiety. Toxic fear holds us back from fully experiencing life. 
Chronic fear leads to a cortisol overload in our bodies, which over time weakens our immune systems and prematurely ages us. When anxious, our nervous system never gets an opportunity to rid our bodies of cortisol and heal by returning to stasis. Toxic fear and anxiety over time can manifest itself physically in headaches or in gastrointestinal discomfort. Sleep becomes more difficult and we may gain or lose an alarming amount of weight due to toxic fear. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. Fear of the Lord, the Bible tells us, is the beginning of wisdom. It's a spiritual blessing. It's healthy to have a transcendent awe-inspiring respect for God's great holiness. We need to take seriously that we are accountable to God for our lives as the eternal creator and king of the universe. But the Bible counsels us not to live in toxic fear. Over 300 times the Bible says, do not fear. Captivity to fear is a major spiritual battle that many people in our culture are losing today. Anxiety is on the rise, study tells, especially among children and young adults. But God doesn't want his children to live in toxic fear. We don't want our kids to be insecure and nervous and anxious, do we? We want them to be confident and secure and brave. That's what God wants for you and for me. David wrote Psalm 56 when he was facing fearful, scary circumstances in his life. Under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, David wrote Psalm 56, showing us how he kept honest, healthy fear from becoming anxious, toxic fear in his life. It's a spiritual lesson that we can apply to our lives. The historical context of Psalm 56 is found in 1 Samuel chapter 27, where David, fearing for his life, flees from King Saul, who is trying to kill him. And David makes a risky decision, and he flees to Gath, outside the borders of Israel, which actually was one of the capitals of the Philistine kingdom. It looks like David jumped from the frying pan into the fire. You remember Goliath, whom David decapitated in battle, was a Philistine champion, and they remembered that it was David that had killed Goliath. Jewish women, Scripture tells us, sang a song infamously known among the Philistines that said Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his tens of thousands. And so he's surrounded now by men of war in Philistine. He's outnumbered, but there are ones that say, and he killed my cousin, he killed my brother, he killed my father, and they wanted to kill him. In Gath, David was surrounded by a clear and present danger of warriors who wanted nothing more than to annihilate him. He was in a frightening place, and he recognized that. That's why the first two verses of Psalm 56, he wrote, All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. It's interesting in Hebrew, the word enemies is where we get the word Satan. He's saying, I'm surrounded by Satans all around me. That David could see the real danger that he was in, was healthy fear. But if that became toxic, which would then torture his mind and his heart with anxiety, not only would he continue to be in physical danger, but he then would be in spiritual dysfunction and emotional disarray. So how did David keep fear from becoming toxic in his life? Let's see what he did. 
In the first three verses, we see that, first of all, David did not uh, overestimate people or underestimate God. In verse 3, David says, When I am afraid, fear is part of life. David was afraid. But when he was afraid, what did he do? He said, I put my trust in you, God. And he repeats that in verse 4 and in verse 11 three times. He says that in Psalm 56. In other words, David faced the brutal facts of life, but without losing hope. David found courage. He found self-control by not overestimating the power of people and not underestimating God's goodness and greatness. David turned the focus of his mind and heart off of people and circumstances and feelings and his own fear and intentionally focused on trusting in the Lord in the midst of the fear and the danger. David's problem was he was living among a people who hated him and wanted him dead. But David conquered that fear of people, that fear of being tortured and, and suffering and dying by genuinely putting his complete trust in the Lord. And the Lord miraculously gave David favor in the eyes of the king of Gath. That's what saved his life, who said no one should touch him. He's going to be a, a useful servant to me. And that's what saved David, we read about in 1 Samuel 27. The spiritual algorithm, to use a mathematical analogy, the spiritual algorithm that informed David's faith was the simple equation, God is greater than people. As a young teenage shepherd boy, David had the courage to face the mammoth uh, Philistine warrior Goliath because he believed that God was greater than his giants. How often are we held captive in anxiety because we overestimate people and we underestimate God? Proverbs 29, 25 says this, fear of man is a snare. How often do we fear people? We fear disapproval. We fear rejection. We fear judgment by others. But this is a, sm a snare to our soul like an animal caught in a trap. When we overestimate people and their power in our lives, we begin to fall into the trap of the fear of man. We can't fulfill our God-given potential if we fear people. Instead, we'll live with anxiety. Every aspect of our life is hindered when we are afraid of people. God wants to set us free from the fear of man. Jesus in Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear man but fear God. When we trust God as limitless in his goodness and his greatness, when we trust that God will never leave us or forsake us, when we believe to live is Christ and to die is gain, we can abide, we can be at home in a supernatural level of confidence, peace, and courage to face the trials and dangers of life like David. In 2 Kings chapter 6, it records that during the night, the Syrian king came and he, he sent his horses and chariots, which were the tanks of, uh, of ancient warfare, and surrounded the village that the prophet Elijah was staying in in order to kill him. From a human perspective, it looked absolutely hopeless. The scripture tells us in, in 2 Kings chapter 6 that early in the morning, Elisha's servant got, got up and he saw the Syrian troops surrounding their little village and he absolutely panicked. There is no way they could escape or defeat such an overwhelming 
horde of enemies. Let's pick up the story in verses 15 and 16. When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out early in the morning, an army of horses and chariots has surrounded my city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Which person was correct, the servant or Elisha? The servant saw the surrounding Syrian army, the horses and chariots, and gave them due respect as a formidable and overwhelming foe. Just look around. Look, look at the facts of the situation. It's hopeless. But Elisha said something that was counterintuitive. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Was Elisha crazy? In 2 Kings uh, 6.17, it reports Elisha's prayer. O Lord, please open his eyes so he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The young servant was panic-stricken because he overestimated the power of the Syrian army and he had underestimated the power of God. But Elisha was at peace because he, like David in Psalm 56, trusted in the Lord with all his heart. Friends, today can be a turning point for our lives as we begin to escape the snare of the fear of people. Many of us have been anxious, worrying about what other people think of us or what other people will do or not do. We've been uh, having sleepless nights where our minds, we can't turn them on, ruminating about people's disapproval or rejection. But there's a better path, a path of peace and rest by trusting in a God who is limitless in his goodness and greatness, in his love, his wisdom, and his power. David didn't overestimate the power of the Philistines. He knew they had power. He acknowledged that. But he didn't overestimate it to put them in the place of God. People in comparison to God, there's nothing that they can do apart from what God would allow. And he didn't underestimate his God. Like David and like Elisha, to overcome toxic fear, we need to look at life not just through our physical eyes, but through our eyes of faith that trust God. So why did David have such great confidence in God? It's because David trusted God because he knew and he believed the promises of God. Look at verses 4 and verse 10. Three times he repeats another phrase. In God whose word I praise... In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What can people do to me? Verse 10, in God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. David kept his fear from becoming toxic by remembering and trusting the promises found in God's word. A study by Pepperdine University showed that God in the Bible makes over 7,000 promises. Do we know God's promises? Do we meditate regularly upon God's promises so that when threats, when toils, dangers, and snares, like it says in Amazing Grace, when they come, that they can come, those promises can come back to our mind and strengthen our souls. 
Trust in the Lord, I believe, is directly correlated to knowing and remembering and believing God's great promises. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 speaks about God's promises. God's promises have tremendous spiritual power which can give us peace and confidence and rest and hope and wisdom and courage when facing frightening circumstances in life. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this, God's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature God's promises are trustworthy because they're backed by his impeccable, perfect character. Numbers 23.19 says this about God and his character. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is always faithful to his promises. So David said, I praise your word. I take comfort in your great promises for me. God promises to give us access to his grace, to help us in time of need. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. David overcame his fear of being surrounded by, by Philistines who wanted to kill him by putting his hope in God's promises as found in God's holy word. It's David who wrote Psalm 27, and he wrote this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then Isaiah uh, expresses the core issue in our fight against toxic fear in Isaiah 26.3. He says, You, O Lord, will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Because he trusts in you. The battle with toxic fear is won or lost in our mind. God engineered our minds to only be able to uh, hold one thought at a time. So David faced his toxic fear, but he won the battle by intentionally focusing his mind, his thoughts, on the promises of God's word. Friends, I, I can't recommend more highly this morning in your battle against toxic fear, which we all have, I have too, to invest time daily to memorize and meditate upon God's promises as found in his holy word so that we are cooperating for the renewing of our mind, the programming of our mind to focus on God's promises whenever we are afraid. For you, O Lord, will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. In January of 1956, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came home late from leading the civil rights movement. His, his wife, his kids were in bed. He just wanted nothing more than to go to bed and go to sleep. He was exhausted, and the phone rang. And he picked it up, and he heard the menacing, hate-filled voice of a man who threatened to kill him and his family. During those days in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, Dr. King was getting over 30 threats on his life a day, either by mail, most of them by mail, and some of them uh, voice to voice. So in this moment of, of being vulnerable from emotional and, and physical exhaustion, 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. could not shake the fear of his family being killed. And so at his kitchen table, he put his, his head in his hands and he called out to God for help as he came to the end of his strength. And what came to mind was Deuteronomy 21.6 that says this, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the stillness of the Alabama night, under incredible stress, the promise of God proved stronger than the threats of hell in King's life. In a subsequent message, he told this story about that night. And he said this, and I quote, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. So why did David put such credibility in the promises of God? He goes on in the psalm here in verses 11 through 13 that David knew that God's promises were rooted and were manifestations of God's covenant with David and with his people. The language of verses <coughs> excuse me, 11 through 13 is the language of covenant worship. Notice it says in verse 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. This is the language of covenant. David and the Lord had entered into covenantal relationship with each other via vows and the giving and receiving of gifts with one another. A covenant, like a marriage ceremony, which is a covenant, involves vows and gifts. That's what David's talking about in verse 12. God, the living God, the eternal God with whom nothing is impossible, the creator of heaven and earth that knows us, as Pastor Paul has said this morning, and loves us and will always love us, is a covenant-making, promise-keeping God. Marriage, as designed by God, is a holy covenant. At our wedding, we give our sacred uh, word in vows to one another, for better or for worse, rich or poor, in sickness and health, keeping myself only unto her so long as we both shall live. We give a vow. And then the giving and receiving of rings, a symbol that we wear on our hands to ourselves, to our spouse, and to the world in a gift that was given to us by our beloved. We've entered into love, holy commitment of love and loyalty to our beloved. And that's what God has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God entered into a covenantal relationship with us. So David rooted his life, his security, his destiny in God's covenant of loving kindness to his people. We are wise to do likewise. You see, in Christ Jesus, we are the bride of Christ. We have his promises, his vows to us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Via the shed blood and broken body of Jesus, we enter into God's covenant of love as his children. Due to the covenant made by God with us in Christ Jesus, God's love is irrevocable. God promises to be with us in this life, to help us. And then to take us, to be with him. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there will you be with me also. God's promises are fulfilled because they are rooted in God's covenant, which he will never break. So what do we fear? 
We fear being alone. We fear being abandoned. We fear rejection. We fear betrayal. We fear poverty and lack. We fear sickness and suffering and death. But it says in 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out all fear. God's covenant with us is perfect love. Our identity and our destiny are secure in Christ Jesus. All God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, as we respond in faith, we are adopted forever into God's loving family. Living in Christ by his indwelling Holy Spirit and the promises of his holy word is the pathway to fight and overcome toxic fear. In Christ, we can be filled with love and joy and peace no matter the circumstances because we can rest in his powerful presence that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. I know a man who was adopted here in the States as a little boy after uh, being a, a street kid, an orphan in a third world nation, and he'd been terribly abused. In fact, uh, had lunch with him one time, and, and he told me that he had no memories of the first 10 years of his life. His well-meaning adopted family, wonderful family here in the States, told him that they expected him to clean his room, and their intention was to teach him responsibility and to give him ownership. But what he heard, unintended consequences, what he heard was conditional love. If I keep my room perfect, they won't send me back to the streets. That was like hell. So he lived in abject, toxic fear of being rejected for not being perfect. His thought process was, if my room is clean, will you let me stay? Will you then still love me? So my friend grew up internally. Nobody knew about it, but inside of himself, he grew up with this performance orientation and identity insecurity and the toxic fear of rejection, and it was exhausting. Until one night, years later, he came home drunk. And uh, <laughs> I've been debating whether to tell you the exact detail or not, but I, I guess I will. He scared his roommate, and his roommate decked him. And, and you know, that kind of sobered him up, I guess, a little bit. And uh, his roommate said, I, I won't use the exact language, but basically said, I am sick and tired of your stuff, and you need, you need God. And uh, that's the truth, it, although that's nicer than how he actually told me. But, uh, but it's amazing what God uses. That's my point in telling you the details. But that was the turning point in my friend's life where he came to know supernaturally by the work of the Holy Spirit about God's unconditional love. You see, if you don't realize how much God loves you, Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that you would know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. In other words, that the whole universe is overflowing with the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. That you may be rooted and grounded in God's love. It's when in Christ Jesus, by the miraculous filling of the Holy Spirit, that perfect love will have fear. David had fear when I am afraid but we'll be able to put our trust in God because we know we're loved. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see, friends, in Christ Jesus, we don't earn God's love. We receive God's love. 
God doesn't promise us a problem-free life. David didn't have a problem-free life. Jesus didn't. Neither will we. But God promises to be with us in the midst of strife, to help us, and to bring ultimate good out of everything. In Romans 8, verses 37 through 39, God promises us this. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Like that mama bear overcoming her fear of the rattlesnake because of her love for the little guy that she was saving. You see, there's a path, Psalm 56 tells us, to navigate fear, to keep it from becoming toxic in our lives. It's found in walking with Jesus Christ every day in the love of God's covenantal promises to us, thus winning the battle for our minds against toxic fear that wages war against our souls. 